0: Father, we thank you for your great love and grace. We thank you for the peace that you proclaim over our lives in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that in the storms of life we don't have to fear because who can be against us when you are for us? Who can bring a charge against your elect? It's what you teach us in your word that you are our advocate, that you are our comforter, that you are our peace. And I pray, Father, as we dive in to your word this morning that our attitude of worship would continue, that our desire to hear your voice would grow, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more, as you see the day approaching. Sorry, my nose is running a little bit. I mentioned last week that we are exiting the realm within the book of Hebrews of theological instruction. Up to this point, up to chapter 10, verse 18, It's not that there hasn't been application. There's actually been quite a bit. But it has been focused on instructing us in the things of God. And we've looked at the Old and New Covenant, and we've looked at Jesus' perfect sacrifice, and we've looked at how Jesus is better than the angels. We've looked at how his priesthood is better. We've looked at um, um, the doctrines of salvation, and we've looked at the New and Old Covenants and how those compare. I mean, we've We've gone through a lot, right? I mentioned this earlier on in the book of Hebrews. You know, at the end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6, we talked about the elementary principles of our faith. That's kind of theology 101. And as we got into chapters 7, 8, and 9, we got into, like, upper-class theology. We got into things that a lot of people don't actually explore or think about, but we need to know, or we should know. Why should we know it? Because it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, we should probably know it. Now, should we know it all cover to cover, back to front? That'd be nice, right? But I, I can't quote the whole Bible, and I bet you can't. The kids at LEAD are real fun. They always, I always give them little challenges, right? If they memorize this verse, they can get a little prize. Um, right now, they have a thing to memorize, nine, eight or nine verses, Romans 8, 31 through 39. I said, if they can memorize the whole thing, I will buy them lunch at the place of their choice. Now, I'm thinking, if someone said, oh, I'm like, yeah, I could order me a T-bone, some prime rib, and a baked potato from Old Miner. Right? If, I'd memorize the verses because it's important to do so, and I love Jesus. But for a free steak, there's a little extra motivation, right? One of the kids says, well, if I memorize that, will you buy me a, I think it was a PS5 or an Xbox, PlayStation 5. So I'll tell you what. You memorize the whole Bible, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22:21. 21 the entirety of Scripture. Then I added the caveat in the Old King James. <laughs> P.S. Fives are expensive, They're like five six hundred bucks. I said, "But I said, if you do that, I'll buy it for you." And they were like, "Really? <laughs> I really hope they do it. I mean, that would be awesome." Um, but we should know. We should understand them. But now we move into the application portion of the book. And we're going to see that very clearly today as we are exhorted in three specific areas as a result of what we've learned in Hebrews so far. Now, I'm going to tell you this. um, Since the day we started the book of Hebrews, way back in whenever the first one was, I don't remember, but it was much earlier this year, I have been waiting To preach this message. There were two mess, well, three messages like that. One was Hebrews four, twelve. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. When we started Hebrews, I was really looking forward to that. The second one was Hebrews chapter seven. I really love getting into the, the depths of Melchizedek. And then there's this one. And there's probably a couple more if I really thought about it. But I've been thinking about this message. Since we began the book of Hebrews. So now that I've built that up in your mind, don't expect too much. It's probably not going to be all that good, but I'm really excited, so I hope you are too. The first three verses, verses 19 through 21, says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, and then there's a comma there, we're going to pretend it's a period for just a moment. The word therefore, as we know, connects us to everything that came before it. Now, you have to keep this in mind. This is not just what came before it, say, in verse 18. This is everything we've studied in the last 10 and a, or nine and a half chapters. Because of Jesus being the heir of all things, him being greater than the angels... Him having a better sacrifice, a better rest, a better covenant. Him being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. On all of it, from the first verse of this book up to the 18th verse of chapter 10. therefore, because of all of that, and you're going to see this, because of all that glorious truth regarding who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and what we have in him, first, we can have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Right? This is what we studied in Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that's a callback to chapter 4, verse 16. And I preached that message, so I don't really want to preach it again, but we need to have this great understanding that we can enter the throne room of grace. I remember way back then, I gave the illustration of calling the president, right? And some of us may really want to call the president, some of us may not do, some of us may want to call him for really bad reasons, but what would happen if you or I, say, got the president of the United States' cell phone? Actually, the president of the United States isn't allowed to have a cell phone. Let's say we got his office number, which he wouldn't answer anyway, but you called, right, whoever, whoever his person who answers the phone picks up yes i would like to speak to the president who are you my name's jason i live in gunnison colorado <laughs> click <laughs> right that would be that they're not going to let me through doesn't matter who's in that office they're not going to let me talk to him why because i'm not that important not in his mind anyway but we have the king of the kings and the lord of lords the creator and sustainer of the universe, that all we have to do is say, Father, and he'll say, yes. He's listening. When we need help, God, I need help. Okay. I'm right here. Every single time. How beautiful is that? Oh. So he entered, we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So we have this new way to come to the Father. And this is what we studied in Hebrews 9, verses 7 and 8, and then verse 24. But into the second part, that's one of the places, right? We've studied this five or six times throughout the book of Hebrews. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made, or was not yet made manifest, while the first tabernacle was still standing. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So beautiful. The only reason we can approach the throne of grace with boldness is because Jesus went first and made the way. And he did that as a better high priest with a greater sacrifice in fulfilling the Old Covenant and establishing the New. Then the third thing, and having a high priest over the house of God, we'll get to verse 22, let us, right? Having a high priest over the house of God, this we have studied again multiple times throughout the book of Hebrews. Places like Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He goes up into chapter 7, verse 26 and 27, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. We have studied all of this multiple times over the last nine and a half chapters of the book. Multiple times we've talked about Jesus being our high priest, a greater high priest, a better high priest, a perfect high priest who made the way for us to come to the Father so that we can come to the Father with boldness. Right? All of that leads to these first three exhortations. Now, actually, all of that leads us to the rest of the book of Hebrews. Because everything that comes after is going to be very much focused on application. But today, we're only going to look at the first three exhortations that we get. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Then verses 24 and 25, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Three exhortations. These exhortations arise as a result of who Jesus is as our Savior and great high priest. What he has done for us through his perfect sacrifice and leading our way into the presence of God and all that we have in him such as eternal redemption and access to the throne of grace. So with that, we are exhorted with this phrase, let us, to walk out three very specific exploits in our relationship with Jesus and one another. Are you ready? This is the part I've been waiting for. Number one, let us draw near with a true heart In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Once we come to faith in Jesus Christ and have been cleansed by his perfect sacrifice, we can now draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. The word draw near means to approach Come near, worship, visit, assent to, or come to. In other words, we are invited into this intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we tend to get that word intimacy a little boggled in our mind, right? Most people, not most people, me, a lot of us, when we think of intimacy, what do we think of? Physical intimacy. We think of sex. Right? Anybody else? Okay, sorry. I think about sex a lot. Um, shh! I really love my wife. See, Roy's cheering me on back there. Thanks, bro. But intimacy goes so far beyond a physical relationship. True intimacy is about being honest. Is about being vulnerable. Is about letting your guard down. It's about trusting the other person or the other people. It's about a lot of things. That's the kind of relationship we're invited into with God. Why wouldn't we be vulnerable before God? Right? The only reason we wouldn't be vulnerable before God is because we do not understand who He is. Because I'm going to tell you something. He already knows. He already knows if you're struggling with doubt. He already knows if you're struggling with fear. He already knows if you've committed a sin. He already knows. It's not like you can go before God and go, Yes, Lord, I had a great week and I did really good, so bless me. He's going to be like, "Um, No, you didn't. But that vulnerability, that honesty, that intimacy. What is intimacy truly about? getting to know the other person. So, now you think about it. God is what we call omniscient. He is all knowing. Does he need to get to know us better? He can't know us better. Right? Is there anything God can't do? We had that discussion a while back. Yeah, there's a few things God can't do. One of the things God can't do is learn. Ever Think about that. That'll boggle your mind if you spend enough time with it. He can't learn because he already knows everything. He knows everything that's ever been, that ever will be, that's happening now. He knows all the questions that scientists are asking about the world and physics and and chemistry and biology. He already knows. You want to know how he knows? Because he created it. God knows math. Right? He can do algebra. You want to be impressed with the power of God, he can do algebra. And trigonometry and all the rest of it. Because he created it. You see, people like to think that they've discovered things. They haven't discovered things. What's happened is God has revealed it to them. And they listened. That's why so many earlier scientists who created and discovered all, so many things that we use today were Christians. And they gave God the glory for it. Intimacy. He doesn't need to know us better, so who needs to know who? We need to know him better. Because the more we know him, the more we're going to trust him. James 4, 7 and 10. I've been holding this for five minutes. And I never took care. James 4, 7 and 10. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. This reveals to us, right, we can talk about so many things from this passage, and we did when we studied it while we were going through James. We can talk about submitting to God, resisting the devil, drawing near to God, cleansing our hands, all of this stuff. And it's good, and if you really want to spend time there, go listen to that study in James. But this is what it boils down to. What hinders us from drawing near to God? Us. Right? Things like pride. That's why we're told to humble ourselves. Things like an unwillingness to submit. That's why we're told to submit. Things like listening to the lies of the enemy. That's why we're told to resist him. Things like sin. That's why we're told that we need to be cleansed. People love to blame so many other things for why their relationship with God isn't right. I'm going to tell you straight up, you want to know what the problem is, you can do one of two things. If you're over 40, you can look in a mirror. If you're under 40, well, or if you're an old soul or a young soul, you can take take your phone out and take a selfie. And you will immediately get the image of the person who is holding you back. And I don't say that to point it out like you got, oh, that's all you. No, 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 no. Me too. Me too. I know. But we can draw near with a true heart. This means that it's a true or truthful heart, mind, and feelings. So we are approaching God first because we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Already talked about that. But also with pure motivations and a desire to know him more. 1 Timothy 1 5. Now, the pers- purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart from a good conscience and from sincere faith and the word sincere in the new testament is a beautiful word it means without wax and I know I've mentioned this before but it's so important back in the day in those days you know wealthy people had what marble big marble statues Right? Because you put them in, the, you, some of them were objects of worship, some of them were for decorative purposes. But you had this big marble statue. Well, here's the problem marble was expensive, always has been. It took a lot of work to create that statue. So you have, you know, Mr. Greek sculptor guy working on a sculpture for some wealthy Roman or wealthy Greek patron. And what happens? He's, he's just fixing that final little bit around the left ear. Or right? That was my right ear. But around the ear and clink, the ear falls off. All that work wasted. No good, right? Well, he's not going to eat that whole piece of marble as far as the cost and the time he put into it. So what he would do is he'd gather up all the marble dust that was on the floor. And he'd melt wax and mix the war- marble dust into it so the wax looked like marble and then he'd glue the ear back on. And marble would harden. And, and you know, the, the patron who ordered, oh, my statue is beautiful. Take it home. Puts it in his courtyard. Hot day comes along. And all of a sudden, Mr. You know, Greek statue guy, his ear is like on his cheek and then his neck, and then it's on the floor. That statue was in Sincere. The word sincere means without wax, without any pretense. This is how we come to God. Without wax. Without any pretense. Here I am. Yep, there's parts of me that suck. Yep, I sinned this week. Yep, I have a bad attitude. Yep, I'm struggling to forgive those people. Yep, I'm mad at that person. Lord, there it is. This is what I am. And he goes, great, I can work with that. When we come to God and try to pretend that we're perfect, or that we've got everything together, that we are without sin, or we have no mistakes. Read the Gospels and see how Jesus dealt with religious hypocrites. I don't want to be that. I want to come to him with sincerity. And finally, with full assurance, and we have talked about this throughout the whole of the book of Hebrews, the word full assurance means to have entire confidence, This confidence is not in what we do or what we think we deserve, but in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. 1 John 2, 28, and then 1 John 5, 14, and 15. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. This is our confidence. When he appears, we won't be ashamed. Why? Because we've done so good that he's going to have to bring us in? When he appears, we won't have to be ashamed because we have trusted in Jesus Christ and we've come to him honestly. I love that if we, we have this confidence that we can ask anything according to his will and we're going to get it. There's that wonderful little caveat there that we have to ask according to his will. Because you can go back to James. Why don't you get what you want? Well, because you asked to spend it on your pleasures. But when we pray according to his will, we will get that which we have prayed for. And that's pretty astounding, isn't it? I can say with all honesty that up to this point in my life, it is not God's will that I be wealthy. <laughs> because I haven't gotten it. Now, in all honesty, I haven't really prayed for it either. But not like I buy a lottery ticket and bring it here to the church and set it on stage and fall down before God and go, Lord, please. I just get excited when I win a dollar. You get a little scratcher and you get a dollar. You're like, woohoo! I spent $5 on the scratcher and I get a dollar back. Bad investment. But the scratching, it's worth the the fun, right? No? Just me? (laughs) But that's our confidence. Because our confidence isn't in us. Our confidence isn't in what I can do. Our confidence isn't in what I deserve. Oh, that would be bad. Our confidence is in him. Ephesians 6.10 reminds us of this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now that leads in to the teaching on the full armor of God. But the reality is, the word for be strong there, it's a position of confident strength. It doesn't say you be strong. It's be strong in the Lord in the power of his mind to have a position of confident strength in him one of the things that's really hard for me is is people who go well i just i need to be a strong person that's hard for me because i know i'm not i know i am a weak person and like paul From 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I rejoice in my weakness, because in my weakness his strength is made perfect. Well, so when someone says, Well, I just I need to be a strong person, or I just pray that you know I can I can get through this, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I tell people, I tell people when I counsel them, I tell people regularly, no. Understand that you're not a strong person. Understand that you're weak and rely his strength, because then we can have confidence. If your confidence is in your own strength, you're going to let yourself down, I promise. That's the first let us. The second let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. As I said, the more we know him, the more we trust him. We do not let go then of our confession of hope. We don't even waver in it. Why? Because we're going to m- pull up our bootstraps and we're going to muster up enough belief and we're always going to believe in God. Is that what it tells you? What does the word tell you? Because the one who promised is faithful. That's how we have confidence. That's how we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, we remain in our faith and hope in God because of His faithfulness to us and because of His promises which He is faithful to keep. We know that even if we are faithless, He remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 tells us that. So listen to some of these wonderful scriptures. Back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 14. said, Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Words like firm, words like steadfast, those things come from his faithfulness his faithfulness to keep his promises. In James 1 6 and 7 we're told that if we want wisdom all we have to do is ask but then said tells us to ask him in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double minded and unstable in all his ways. We don't want to be unstable I don't want to be unstable. Sometimes I am. But I don't want to be. And that stability doesn't come from me. Jesus illustrated that in Matthew chapter 7, where you build your house. Do you build it on the sand or do you build it on the foundation? Do you want to be stable? Build your house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. By hearing and obeying his word. That's what we're taught. But I love this. We hold fast the confession of our hope. Consider Galatians 6, 9, and 10. It's kind of been the church's theme verse for the last couple of years. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And in a moment, that will lead us into our third let us. But as we think about drawing near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, and we think about holding fast our confession of hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. And then we get verses like Galatians 6, 9, and 10 where we're told to not grow weary. What do we do with that? Because think about it. Wouldn't it be nice? I mentioned this earlier. It would be nice if our church was full. Should we stop doing what God has called us to do because our church isn't full? Physically speaking? No has nothing to do with it. If God calls you to do something, you do it. Right? The outcome is up to him. And I think we so easily, and I know I've made this comment before, but I think we so easily and far too often quit right before we have victory. I think we do it too often. We quit right before we have victory. John and I were talking about this morning, we were discussing, as we often discuss, the wonderful sport of pickleball. Right? I know, I, I think the only thing I talk about more than pickleball is Jesus, uh, but I do like pickleball. It's a lot of fun. And one of the things we were talking about is a mistake that he and I both make. Quite often, the people who play against us will see this from time to time. And that is, we get caught admiring our shot. Right? You hit a really good serve, it pops into the corner, the other person's scrambling to get it, and you stand there all cocky and sure you're, well, there, that's not coming back. Oh, he hit it back! <laughs> and you have to run up to the net or get somewhere else, or, or, or you hit a shot that you're so sure isn't coming back that you just stop. And then it comes back to the other side of the court and you can't get to it because you gave up on the shot. Now, what happens when you don't give up on the shot? One of two things. Either A, you're going to get it back, or B, you're going to fall down and hurt your back. One way or the other, something will happen. And I only say that because at this very moment I'm wearing a a back brace because I fell on Thursday going after a shot. I should have just let go. But you're never going to hit it back if you give up. That's, That's the point I'm making. But how many of us do that in our walk with Christ? How many of us do that in our ministry within the church or our ministry in the community? How many of us do that maybe with family members or friends? I remember many years ago that I heard this message um, from at a church we were at. It was one of the leaders in the church, not the pastor. And his message was go back one more time. I love that message. And he used, I think it was Elisha who raised. The woman, uh, um, the woman's son. He had been staying with her. She had a son. The kid died. She went to get him. He came back, and he laid on the boy, laid down, got back up, walked around the room, laid down, got back up, walked around the room seven times. Seventh time, the kid woke up, resurrected from the dead by the power of God and the faithfulness of Elisha. What happens if after six times he said, "Now I'm done"? Yeah, it's not working. I feel bad kid's dead, there's nothing I can do. But he didn't. He went back the seventh time. Remember Naaman, the the army general who was covered in leprosy? He was sent to see Elijah. And Elijah said, great, go wash in the river seven times, you'll be clean. And the guy gets all upset. And one of his servants goes, why are you upset? If he had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. But he just told you to to go wash and be clean. Why wouldn't you just do it? So now you have to imagine this guy is important. He's wealthy. He's a military commander. He has slaves and servants. Everybody who was there with him had to do what he said. And he's got to strip down to his underwear. Right? And keep in mind, they probably didn't really wear underwear back then, so maybe he'd strip down. And he walked out into the river and he dipped in the first time. And all of his men are standing there going, Wow, look at it. Dude's naked. What's he doing? They knew what he was doing. And then he dipped a second time and stood back up. And then he dipped a third time and stood back up. And then he dipped a fourth. And right each time, maybe he's looking at his skin, going, well, the leprosy hasn't cleared. i still got, you know, these splotches and these sores. And, and what, what in the world? This, this doesn't make any sense. Maybe before the fifth time, he started to walk back out in the lake, and that little servant kid who had, had the guts to tell him to do it to begin with was like, dude, he said seven times. That was four. I know you can count. Number five. Number six. This is stupid. Nothing's happening. No, 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 no. Seven times. And so he dipped the seventh time. And what happened? He came up clean. Think about that account. That type of thing is repeated throughout scripture. Abraham and Sarah prayed for 20 years until they got Isaac. David ran from Saul for nearly seven I think it was 17 years. We'll get that number right as we go through 1 Samuel. And then he became king, but was only king over Judah, wasn't king over all of Israel for seven more years. What if he'd given up? Start thinking about this. How often do we give up? Right before victory. Now, here's the problem with that question. We actually don't know. Do we? Because we gave up right before victory. But I'm going to tell you this. It's more often than you would like. It's more often than I would like. So maybe you have a family member or a friend. And you're like, I, I don't, I don't want to talk to them enough. They won't listen. We'll go back. Maybe you have thought you're called to something in ministry and you're like, yeah, it's too hard or it's too much or I can't do it, or go back. Maybe you're praying for something in your own life and you don't know why it hasn't happened yet, so you're, you're not praying for it as much as you used to. Or maybe you're not praying for it at all. Go back. How many years did Hannah go until she got Samuel. How many years did Zechariah and Elizabeth pray before they got John the Baptist? How many years did the Israelites pray for their Messiah and then when he stood in front of them, they crucified him? Don't miss what God wants to do because you're afraid to step out in faith. Instead, we draw near with a true heart and full assurance and we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. I've been here for a little over two years, and I can tell you, almost every day, I won't say every day, that would be a lot, almost every day, at least on average five days a week, I pray for revival in our church, and I pray for an awakening in our valley. I know both of those things are God's will. God wants to see this church filled with life, life that overflows into our community. I know that. God wants to see the lost in this valley saved more than I do and more than you do. So I know that's his will. And so I pray for it. And guess what? Well, he promises that when we pray according to his will, he's going to do it. And I hope that excites you. Because it excites me. And that leads us to number three. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. I love this section. uh, Preaching that scripture in church to the people who are here, Right? might feel kind of the, uh, the proverbial preaching to the choir. You are here. You didn't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Um, but there's a lot in here for us to think about. First, consider one another. I love that simple phrase. It means to think about, observe, take heed, pay attention to, and understand. Now put all of that word, all of those various words, that definition, in relation to the people sitting around you. The people who are part of our church. Do you think about the other people in the church? I know I do. I pray for all of you quite regularly, so that means I think about you. Do you observe? Do you do you, do you pay attention and take heed to your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church and go, boy, something. I think something's wrong. I'm going to ask, or maybe maybe they need something. I'm going to provide, or maybe. They need someone to talk to. I'm going to listen. Or, wow, they, they look like they're not feeling well. I'm going to pray for them. Do you, do you do that? Do you observe, take heed, and pay attention to it? And I know you might say, well, yeah, but that's your job. It's I have so much to do that I have to be intentional about it or I forget. I do. We as elders, we every two weeks, we have a discussion about... Y'all. Not that kind of discussion. Right? But, oh, we need to be praying for so-and-so. This is going on. Or, or you know, they, they need help with this. Or, they, or, or we, we, make, we do that. Why? Because we want to make sure you're all taken care of. Now, here's the reality. If there's something going on that we don't know about, then we can't take care of it. If you've got something going on in your life that you haven't asked for prayer for, then we can't pray for you. We can pray that God will bless you and be at work in your lives. But we can't pray specifically. We can't be there to support you through it. It's much harder when, to consider you if you don't tell us or tell one another. Right? It doesn't mean you have to call or text me with everything going on, but we are in this together. This is how we should be as the body of Christ. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Matthew 23, 11 says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. You have to consider, Jesus said that. Let him who is greatest among you be your servant. Have you ever thought, that is beneath me? on anything. Now, I'm not going to lie. I've done it. And God's like, <clears throat> I I love the way God deals with me. Right? Because if there's ever a time when I think, well, I'm the pastor of the church. I shouldn't have to do that. Well, then the next day, the toilet overflows or or something of that nature. And I'm in there with a the mop. And he's like, really? It's beneath you? So I, I just really try not to say that anymore. Now, there are certain things I don't always have time for. And that's different. But I never say that. Uh, one, of my favorite pa- oh, sorry. one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Chuck Smith, huge church in Southern California, 40,000, 30, 40,000 people attended over multiple. I mean, they would have 20 services. It was crazy huge. But they had about 200 people on staff. Uh, and many of them were pastoral staff because, of course, one pastor, two pastors, or five pastors couldn't deal with all of that. They had a custodial staff. The custodial staff never cleaned the bathrooms of their church or their classrooms or their meeting rooms or the pastors on staff took turns cleaning the bathrooms. I loved that when I heard about it. And Pastor Chuck wasn't ever the one who said it. It was one of the other pastors on staff who told people, yeah, he has us do this. Why? To remind us that we're serving. To remind us that we're servants. As we consider one another, we do it to stir up love and good works. The word to stir up here means to incite, provoke, or sharpen. To incite, provoke, or sharpen. As we love and serve one another, we should be inciting one another, provoking one another, and sharpening one another to love others and to walk out the good works God has planned for us. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Ephesians 2, 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's the reality. Each of us was created to serve him. Each of us was created with specific gifts, talents, abilities, passions in order to serve him. And we all should be looking at one another and said, hey, why aren't you doing it? I'm grateful. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I have the privilege of doing it multiple times throughout the week. I'm very grateful for that. God has that specific calling for each of us. And we should be encouraging one another to walk that out. And finally, we are told to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but to exhort one another as we see the day approaching. There are too many people who call themselves Christians that think they can get by without being part of the body of Christ. Now, you're sitting here. So, I'm not going to yell at you and try to make you feel guilty for not coming to church. That would be dumb. Nor am I talking about somebody who's missed a Sunday because they're on vacation. We have, we have uh, six of our, our family members who aren't here today because they have a a grandchild slash niece that's having a birthday. So they went and spent the weekend with their family. Yeah, you should do that. We have another, four of our church family members who are in another state attending a wedding. Yeah, you should go do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about missing a Sunday because you're on vacation or because you're taking care of something with your family or even because you're sick, right? Sometimes you might wake up on Sunday morning and blah, 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 yeah, I'm not going to church. Thank you. <laughs> stay at home. Keep it to yourself. Right? We are to share in all things, but not that. Right? We just read that verse cleanse your hands. You stay, stay home. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is that every believer in Jesus Christ must be part of a local body of believers. So that what? We can consider one another. How can you consider others and be considered yourself if you're not part of a church? So we can stir up love and good works. As iron sharpens iron, so sharpens so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Try to do that alone. Right at the beginning of this service, I, I said a few things in an attempt to encourage you and me. But I'll tell you what, it's a lot harder to encourage yourself. It's a lot easier to have somebody else encourage you. It's a lot harder when you have a question that you don't have an answer to to try to figure it out on your own than it is to ask somebody who knows. It's a lot harder when you're struggling with something to go through it by yourself than it is to go through it with your church family. This is so we can be cared for, not face things alone. And this goes so far beyond attending on Sunday morning. It's great to be here on Sunday morning. I say it all the time. I love being a church. I love it, I love it, I love it. But this is a couple hours, one day a week. Is this all it should be? No. We should be doing everything. I know that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Does that mean that every night we should be eating at someone else's house? No. Does that mean every time that you you have a struggle, you immediately pick up the phone and call me or call one of the elders or call my wife or, yep, oh, as you know what? I, I ate that Twinkie and I shouldn't have. Yeah, you should have. If your body told you you needed a Twinkie, then you should eat the Twinkie. All right, if your body tells you that you need a Twinkie, there's probably something wrong. Go to a doctor. But we shouldn't be living our lives on our own six, and, six days and 90% of Sunday with this being our only church life. Church, as the body of Christ, should be our life. Does that mean we can't do things independently of the church? Well, of course not. You have your family. You have your relationships. You have maybe even your hobbies and things, Right? Um, I, I know for a fact we have a brother sitting right here who loves to ride his Harley. I don't have a Harley. So going for a ride on my Harley with him would mean me sitting behind him with my arms wrapped around That's not going to be comfortable for anybody. Especially you. I'm a very affectionate person. Right? I'm not going to do that to you. And that's okay. Right? But if I'm struggling, I should be telling you if you're struggling, you should be telling me, and we should be going through it together. First Corinthians 12, listen to this, 25-27. through 27. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually of it. And I use this illustration all the time. What happens if you, you know you don't think about your pinky until your pinky toe until you kick the coffee table at three in the morning? Then all of a sudden that stupid little pinky is the most important part of your body. We may think, yeah, this I'm not gonna call anybody, that's not big enough. No, if you're thinking about it, it's important to God, and that makes it important to us. And we go through it together. So many other places in the Bible talk about this. Look at the book of Acts, read James 5, read Ephesians 4, read through the Gospels, read the Old Testament where we see over and over and over again that we were meant for community. Specifically in Ephesians 4, we're told that that is where the body's health, growth, and effectiveness comes from. Is us being in community. And we do this to exhort one another which means to call near, invite, invoke, implore, console, beseech, call for, comfort, desire, entreat, and pray. This is why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, because we need one another as we all walk with Jesus together. We need it. We need it. As we close, the more we know him, The more we trust him. The more we trust him, the more we will be able to follow him, serve him, and serve others. All of the theological truth we've explored and learned and hopefully absorbed over the last few months leads to this. We are now called to practically walk this out in our lives as individuals, in the church as the body of Christ and in our community. You can know a thousand points of theological truth that will do you absolutely no good if you do not walk them out in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And obedience to the truth of Scripture revealed to you. Think about that. My first question, have you come to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and thereby saved? There's not a person in here who has never heard the gospel. Maybe there's somebody online, but there's not a person in here who's never heard the gospel. There's not a single person here who doesn't know Jesus died for you, that he rose from the grave, that he's coming again. Not one of us. Right? But are you saved? That's a different question, isn't it? Because you can know that, but until you believe and let the Holy Spirit apply it to your life, it doesn't mean anything. How many of us as followers of Christ know We should love our neighbor. How many of us are doing it every single day? Being honest. How many of us know we should share the gospel? Every single one of us. How many of us are sharing the gospel? I'm not saying every moment of every day, every person you meet, you grab them by the shirt collar. You need Jesus. Are you going to hell? Probably pretty ineffective. How many times a day does God give us that opportunity? Do we take it? It doesn't do us any good to know it if we're not living it. And that begins with the gospel. Second, and I, I ask this for us who are believers, are we taking advantage of the invitation that we have to partake in an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Are we hiding it? Are we pretending? Are we phoning it in, as they say? Are we doing the bare minimum so that we hope when we die we might go to heaven? Or are we pursuing an intimate relationship with him? We all should be. Is there an area of your faith where you are wavering? Anybody? You don't have to put your hand up. I know I do, I do it. I would love to say I wake up every day filled with His holy confidence and I never have any struggles. I'm going to tell you a great story. My tax guy called me on Thursday. He said, I got your taxes done. We filed the extension and all that, so we don't, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, he said, your taxes are done. I said, great, well, come sign him. He goes, can you come tomorrow? I said, sure. That was Thursday. We are going to go Friday morning. And I said, by the way, how did it turn out? And he told me how it turned out. It was not pretty. We owed a lot of money. I'm like, but why? Why? And he, he, he explained a little over the phone. He goes, we can go over it tomorrow. Ah. I, oh, I was whiny. I, I was praying that night like, ah, God. Right? And you got to just, I'm just throwing this out there. This is not for you to feel bad for us or anything. We've been dealing with a lot of stuff like that. Hospital bills and all kinds of stuff. And every step of the way, God has dealt with it. And I'm very, very grateful. So I'm whining on Thursday night. But I don't want it. it? But uh, t- t- dead serious, that's what my prayer was sounded like. It must have been those groanings of the Holy Spirit, but it was just whining. And God stopped me and he said, really? After everything over the last couple months? You think I'm not going to take care of this? You're right. I'm sorry, I'm going to go to bed. And I did. And I went to bed. I slept terribly. But I always sleep terribly. It wasn't because of that. Woke up the next morning. We we have a tradition now. We go out to breakfast together on Friday mornings. We have this little marriage devotion that we're going through. And it's fantastic. We ditch the kids. They're usually asleep anyway. So we go there. We go to the tax guy. And we're sitting down. And he's going through the stuff. And I'm I'm just kind of sitting there. still a little bit whiny. And he goes, well, and here we have, uh, you know, you're getting this credit because you gave us John's As our son, his 1098T. That's his tuition statement from school. I said, did I forget to give you mine? He goes, you're in school? "Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you didn't give me yours. I said, what about our daughter Hannah? Oh, is she in college? Yeah. He goes, oh, if we put that in, you're probably going to get a refund. (laughs) So tomorrow, we've got to get those 1098Ts and hand them in to him. And all of a sudden, this huge tax bill is going to go away. Why? Because I went, I was wavering, and God's like, really? I got it. Calm down. Relax. And watch what I do. I love that. He told Joshua, be still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Because we have all these battles. Battles that we tend to give up on. That all we really have to do is stand there and let God deal with it. And you want to know something? He will. Finally, how can we intentionally be involved and support one another as a church? That's a question each of us has to ask ourselves. And then we have to figure out, we want some motivation. What would that look like in our community? If everybody knew we church that loved and cared for one another. Do you have any idea what a huge difference that would make? Now, I'm going to be really honest. Most people do know that about us. Very few people um, that, do, that I talk to who don't know what kind of church we are. And what's really interesting is two years ago, that was a different story. When I first came here and I talked to people and I told them that I was the pastor of New Song, They'd be like, oh, oh, well, yeah, I, I heard about what happened, a new song, good luck. I don't need luck, I know what happened here, and God brought me here, and he gathered us together and said, watch, watch me do this, and he has. Now, does it look like it this morning? Eh, doesn't really look like it this morning, but we don't walk by sight, we walk by And that's cool to see how God has done that. Now just imagine what else he can do. Ooh. I have a big imagination. And it's so much greater than anything I can think of. I promise that. Well, that was a long time for six verses. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're blessed. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. I pray that you would help each of us, as your children, to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. I pray, God, that you would help each of us to hold fast our confession of hope without wavering. I pray that you would help each of us consider one another and to stir one another up to love and good work pray, if there's anybody listening here or online who doesn't know you, that today would be the day that changes. That they would give their lives to you, Lord Jesus. And for the rest of us, I pray the same thing. Help us all to fully surrender to you and live our lives according to your will. I pray for those of us who aren't here today, who are off doing various things or who are ill. We pray for your hand of grace upon We pray that in all things you are glorified. In Jesus' name.